0: All right, it is time for Valdry's Beat Keith Valdry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Happy Monday. All right. What a weekend. So, as expected, Kevin Falcon wins the yeah. uh, Vancouver-Colchenna by-election. No surprise there. None. No surprise. This is a super safe liberal seat. He was my first, first guest on the show this morning. Here's what he told me about his comeback in politics here. Well, you know, the big thing for me is just a
1: concern. As I, I've got two young girls, 12 and 9, and I think about that generation, and I just think about the damage the NDP did uh, to the economy in the 1990s. I was hoping that they were going to be different this time around, but, you know, we're seeing this, the same old playbook.
0: Okay, he then goes on to talk about overspending, big deficits, overtaxing, but then you try to drill down on him. Is it, so what does that mean? You're going to cut spending? You're going to yeah. shrink government? Then you start stuck in I'm not aud-
1: sure how effective Falcon's going to be if he keeps talking about the 1990s. I mean, that was, <laughs> that was out of Christy Clark and Gordon Campbell's playbook. I mean, yeah. the 90s were a long time ago. This government's different than the 1990s NDP. It's it's not the same uh, activist-driven uh, government, uh, but Kevin Falcon, he's in the legislature. He's going to be in the legislature in a couple of weeks when the Ritz return, and that does change the dynamic in the House for sure. I mean, he's a better communicator. He's a more dynamic personality than Andrew Wilkinson, so this is a big shot in the arm for the BC Liberals. But I'm still looking at another by-election, which I think is going to be far more interesting and more revealing. And that's the looming Surrey South by-election, necessitated by the departure of Stephanie uh, Cadoux, long-term BC Liberal MLA. I note that the NDP, that used to be one of the safest areas around for the BC Liberals. Sure, South Surrey, yeah. Yeah. Well, the NDP almost won Surrey White Rock uh, in 2020, which is almost unheard of if you go back five years their vote increased by 3,000 from 2017 to 2020. The L- BC Liberal vote went down by 500 mm. in that same time frame. The demographics are changing in this part of the province. This is why the NDP won in Langley, Chilliwack and Abbotsford. So that's Surrey, so- Surrey South by-election, which has yet to be called. John Horgan has six months to call that by-election. Uh, you can be sure they're, they're scouting around for a pretty, uh, as much of a star candidate as they can find. And that's going to be far more competitive, and that's yeah. where the liberals have to be concerned that they've got to hang on. That's a liberal seat; they have to hang on to that. If the NDP wins there, um, that for, uh, that's bad news for the liberals, obviously, by losing a seat. But it also shows the, the change in demographics. The other interesting thing on Saturday night in uh, in the by election result, the BC Conservatives ran a candidate, Dallas Brody, who would have never had a hope, but still got about seven percent of the vote. Those are all liberal votes. Um, and again, you put that 7%, uh, different percentages, to other places in Surrey South or in places like Langley, Chillock, and Abbotsford. That's another big boost for the NDP because it's it's a vote splitting uh, maneuver with
0: the BC Liberals. People might forget that there is a thing called a BC Conservative Party well, out there. See how
1: active they're going to be in the next election. Well, oh, that's uh, it. Yeah, like if mean- they
0: get a leader in there and they start running a bunch of candidates, people see that name, that brand on the ballot. It it is bad news. So that hurts the Liberals, right? Splits their mm-hmm. vote.
1: Splits their vote. At a time, it's interesting that, you know, the conservative brand is getting a di- bit of a workout right now with a the, with the conservative federal leadership race. So right. the name conservative is being bandied about a bit more right now. And you look at the B.C. liberals, they're increasingly a conservative type party. They, they don't lean liberal. They lean conservative. And that's, that's the background of the Kevin Falcon as well. Uh, so it's, uh, Falcons entry into, B- re-entry into BC politics is a bit of a game changer, it's a big boost for the BC Liberals, but they are no means out of the woods yet in terms of taking on the NDP.
0: Let's listen to another clip of what he had to say to me this morning. So here he is talking about his what he hopes to accomplish here as leader of the opposition.
1: What I'm most concerned about is the social chaos and disorder we're seeing on streets in communities right across the province, in Vancouver alone. Under the NDP mayor, there we've got 120 random assaults against innocent victims every
0: month. For goodness' sake, it's interesting that he calls Kennedy Stewart the NDP mayor. Well, he's a former
1: NDP MP, you know. So uh, and it happens
0: to be the husband of the NDP candidate he defeated. Who, he, exactly. Outside. So,
1: so yeah, that's that's all. That's fair game. Interesting. The Liberals have picked up on the uh, street crime issue, yeah. and they've uh, rode that in question period the last. Uh, Week or so will be interesting if they continue that in healthcare. I heard your interview with Elizabeth Call earlier about family doctors uh, shortage. I think those two issues right now are front and center in BC politics and look for Falcon and the Liberals to continue to uh, use those two issues to really hammer uh, the NDP over the head.
0: Okay, I believe we've got it. Do we have a clip there of Elizabeth Call, Tim? Okay, let's listen to Elizabeth Call speaking to me earlier this morning. The former NDP health minister mm-hmm. here, speaking about the shortage of family doctors, and I'll get your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, clearly family doctors need to be paid more. Those that are in, uh, you know, who want to stay on the fee-for-service system need to have some recognition of their overhead costs. But there also needs to be a way to uh, make it much more attractive
1: your thoughts. Yeah, well, I heard your interview with Elizabeth uh, Point out when she was health minister, she inherited this royal commission uh, yeah. into healthcare. And it was interesting back then, these healthcare reformers right across the country seized on two key things to keep down mm-hmm. healthcare costs. Limit the number of doctors, reduce the number of acute care beds, assigned a dollar figure to both, which in retrospect seems insane, but that's what happened in the 90s. They reduced the number of doctors and also the number of uh, teaching spots available in uh, in universities um, and medical schools. Uh, and as a result, we're just catching up now to uh, a problem that was first exploited or created in the 1990s. And Elizabeth talked about changing the fee-for-service model. Health Minister Adrian Dix has been dropping very broad hints that that's going to have to change. It's either going to have to change in terms of really boosting up doctors pay because the fee for service just hasn't kept pace uh, as we're seeing in other professions with, with inflation, uh, for example. So that's going to have to change and perhaps get rid of the model, put more doctors on a higher salaried position. Yeah. And Elizabeth also talked about finding a way to pay for doctor's overhead. I mean, yeah. well, if you're a family physician, you're in a practice, you're basically in a small business. You've got to worry about overhead costs, your, your rent, your lease, your employees, your yeah. benefits your accounting your taxes all that stuff has got nothing to do with medicine but you do that after your after hours after you treat patients all day for 10 hours a day then you got 2 hours of paperwork and that's not a um, little to do with medicine. And that's part of the problem as well.
0: Yeah, we're hearing this a lot from advocates in this area that a lot of young medical school graduates, they get out of medis- medical school, they don't want to run a small business. You know, no. They don't want to deal with all these hassles. They just want to maybe work for a hospital or maybe they go into a specialist profession and they make, make more money. Like bottom line on this, is this just going to cost a ton of money like if and i put this to elizabeth call early and she said well they're already spending a ton of money on health care well if you take a look at the inflation rate like i think the health ministry budget went up i don't think it went up as much as the inflation rate in the in the last in the last budget
1: well it went up it went up quite a bit but well, you're it's right going
0: to have to go up even more is it not oh it, it will go
1: up more and more every year it's never gone down it will never go down it no. always goes up in fact, the healthcare increases the last few years are the biggest increases in history. But it, again, you're right; it doesn't keep pace with inflation. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure this is a fixable problem, though. Yeah. You look at the demographics; more and more people are retiring uh, at, in all occupations. You can't keep pace. We're not not producing enough younger people to keep pace with retirements. It affects engineers. It affects police officers. It affects firefighters. It affects people who run MRI machines and. X-ray machines. It affects doctors as well. We're not. I don't think we're going to fix the family doctor shortage.
0: Yeah, and we've got a growing population. And it, Horgan did an uh, uh, an ill considered tweet on this last week, where at one point it it, it seemed like he was almost b- blaming immigrants because mm-hmm. he had his, a tweet sorry, "Well, we uh, we have a hundred thousand people a year coming to BC, and they're not bringing a family doctor with them." Yeah, which he later deleted that tweet because it, it sounded like he was blaming immigrants. But I mean, that's kind of the bottom line reality. I mean, we have this growing population. We don't have the the medical professionals well, to keep pace. There's
1: no way to keep pace. I, just, I really, 900,000 people that are family doctor, how does that get fixed anytime soon? Yeah. You're not gonna, we're not producing a 1,000 or 2,000 family doctors a year. That's impossible. You can't force a medical student to become a family doctor. You can put incentives out there, yeah. but at the end of the day, they will choose the route they wanna go in medicine. And many people wanna be hospitalists. They wanna work in a hospital, defined hours, defined salary, uh they have a private life, whereas private private practice you get all this overhead and associated yeah. uh work and costs that have nothing to do with treating patients.
0: All right, welcome back. Keith Baldry is my guest. We're just talking off air there, there about a, another question I asked Falcon on earlier on the show, and that was this police report that came out last week. So this was an all-party committee that said get rid of the RCMP in British mm-hmm. Columbia, bring in a provincial police force instead, and amalgamate municipal police forces. So this would be massive unanimously endorsed including by his own liberal MLAs and I asked him what he thought of it and he kind of well I got to read the report first uh, you know I got to I got to think about this
1: safe answer by Falcon I've got a piece in Glacier Media out today saying it's dead in the water we're not going to move to provincial police force it's political uh, poison we've got 12 or 13 um, if you include Surrey uh, 13 municipal police forces yeah they cover about 27 ridings You start dismantling those police forces uh, at the municipal level, you you start riling up the local citizens, and you lose potential support within those ridings. It's a no-go zone for provincial political parties. It's one thing for MLAs on a committee to make that recommendation when they're looking at it through a committee lens and not through a real politic government lens. So I just think that particular recommendation is not going forward. But the committee did some great work on other issues and they're making recommendations about when it comes to systemic racism, getting rid of that, Uh, incorporating mental health challenges into policing in a far more effective way than what we currently have, which is basically saddling the police with 100% of the responsibility of solving mental health on the street. Um, uh, Having more indigenous uh, people's involvement in in law enforcement rather than just being outsiders and something like this. So there's lots of great work done by that committee. Lots of good recommendations, but in terms of a, a, a provincial police force, I just don't see any political party taking that on. Yeah, the Falcon's right to be a little circumspect about yeah,
0: that. Yeah, it didn't surprise me at all. He didn't want to really go there because when you take a look at the RCMP, there's like 130 communities in British Columbia yep. have the RCMP as their police force. Now you're talking of a massive overhaul. There's a, a contract with the RCMP in place for the 2032. next- 2032. Yeah. so we're 10 years. 10-year contract in place. like. This would cost a fortune. It would be incredibly complex. It no. would upset a lot of people in a lot of communities, some of whom like the RCMP and the service oh, they get now. You had
1: the union rep on saying seventy-five. Their polling shows seventy-five percent of the residents support uh, the RCMP. So again, yeah, I just this, this would be a political party take creating a problem where one doesn't exist. There's not a huge public outcry out there of getting rid of the RCMP. Yeah. There are definite problems with policing services around BC, and and the and the committee rightly seized on a number of them. But the hue and, there's no hue and cry to go to a provincial okay. police force.
0: Phone me on those issues if you like. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Dwight in Kelowna. Hi, Dwight. Go ahead. Say hey, a couple
1: of things. Um, I think right now every level of government is trying to be all things to all people. And I think they need to uh, go through their books, get rid of the stuff that's not... Uh, a real priority and, and take those dollars and put them into what priorities are and, and sort it out between the different levels. Um, doctors, um, even if we try tomorrow, it'll take years to catch up. I'm, I'm mid-60s. I know all kinds of kids are trying to get into the medical system and can never seem to get in. They're leaving the country to try and get, become doctors. Um, yes, we have a population growth, but we know that's coming. Um, you know, and there's lots of doctors that come in from other countries uh, that have a, a lot of skill, and okay. they're not given any opportunity whatsoever. Yeah. And I don't think it has a monopoly on, on knowledge.
0: Thank you. Yeah,
1: so a good call. In terms of foreign doctors, that's a that's an ongoing issue. Uh, the government recently announced, provincial government recently announced a program to get more international nurses into BC and and up and practicing in a yeah. much more uh, accessible and quicker fashion. A bit of a different challenge with doctors. And that's been an ongoing issue. How do you get um, more foreign trained doctors into the system. The college has its issues with some foreign training. It doesn't necessarily meet Canadian standards, but the pressure is going to be on to get recruit more foreign doctors, no question.
0: It was interesting to hear the caller too mention that he thinks that government's basically overspending. I mean, we see massive deficits at all levels of government and no no sign that it seems going to be significantly sure slowing down the spending.
1: But again, I invite people to pick an area of spending that has to be curbed. Well, you
0: know. that this is what I asked Falcon. Like he was saying, well, the deficit spending is out of control. Well, what would you cut? What would you cut? Well, then it's like, well.
1: Much of it, if, yeah. you, t- if you take health care, education, social services off the table and corrections, there's not a lot left. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, again, big government just seems to be part of the n- new reality.
0: Let's go to Jeff in Parksville. Hi, Jeff. Go ahead. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, yeah. you know, I, I d- Two things. It's more of a statement
1: than anything, but I know how fortunate I am in Parksville to have my doctor, Dr. Papo, as a family doctor. I know how blessed I am, and I know how blessed my wife is to have one. We know many people that don't have a family doctor, and in this one specific instance, I would gladly pay vastly more provincial tax if our walk-in clinics were funded if our doctors were funded, and I know it'll take years for that to happen, but we, I mean, it's to a point where it's one in five people don't have a family doctor and, and our emergency rooms are overcrowded. It's, 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 it's
0: like almost to the extreme. Um, it's a, it's a major problem. Thanks for the call.
1: Yeah. I'm lucky to have a family doctor too. The trouble is she'll probably retire, uh, you know, sooner than later Uh, and that's the problem we've got with family doctors. The family doctor shortage right now is probably going to worsen because the population is increasing and more and more doctors are going to be retiring because that's the population bulge of the demographic. The baby boomers are retiring in great numbers right across the board in all professions, which is why I don't see the family doctor shortage being solved. uh, Not only anytime soon, if not ever.